0: The Mike Lupica Podcast. We are back now with the great Mike Lupica. He's one of the countries. Mike the most Lupica has covered just about every sport. Right. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about woods after the basketball game Mm -hmm. the
1: other night everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy the next this guy and michael said no he's the first tiger in your face questions how much of a dope is he compelling a billion dollar industry the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country often comes down to a
0: flip of the coin this is the mike lupica podcast here's mike lupica
1: hello and thanks for joining us on the mike lupica podcast Today we are talking to my dear friend, Billions co-creator, showrunner, writer, Brian Koppelman. Before we get started with Brian about Billions and the Knicks and Tiger, I want to tell you about Kronos. Kronos knows that many organizations maintaining a modern workforce of hourly, full, and part-time workers, for them, it can be a challenge. This is especially true for human resources professionals working hard to attract and retain all the best talent. That's why Kronos puts HR, payroll, talent, and timekeeping on a single cloud-based platform it's one specially designed to give hr professionals supporting a blended workforce a whole new level of confidence with it they have everything they need to tackle nearly any human resources challenge and are empowered to not just find and hire the right people but to engage motivate and reward them every single step of the way Learn more about Kronos HR solutions for the modern workforce and the people who support them at Kronos.com. We are so happy to have them as a sponsor. Uh, Welcome back to the Mike Lupica podcast. Anybody who read my newspaper column in the Daily News or listen to this podcast knows that uh, Brian Koppelman is my pal. He and uh, David Levine, his writing partner, are the brains behind Billions, which has become I didn't. I, dare I say, can a, can a can a sports columnist talk about the zeitgeist? Am I allowed to say that? And how essential billions has become in the national conversation. Uh, he and David wrote rounders. Uh, they did a wonderful 30 for 30 for ESPN about Jimmy Connors and his run to the semis at the age of, nine, uh, of 39 in 1991, which. I still think was a little heavy on Connors and a little light on Mike Lupica, but he joins us today. Good afternoon, Mr. Koppelman.
0: If there was any more Lupica in it, we would have just had to call the thing shooting from the lip. I mean, (laughs) there was so much Lupica in the Connors, Doc, Mike. And also, let's be clear, there would have been no Doc had you not vouched for us with Mr. Connors. You and Mr. Fowler uh, together assured uh, James Connors that we would uh, be fair and uh, we all kept to our uh, sides of the bargain. No one more than Jimmy, who was so honest in that thing and really let people see what he was thinking and who he was. And um, man, I'm, I'm so glad you bring it up time to time because it is one of my favorite things that David and I ever got to do. Being able to portray a, a childhood kind of hero, but also villain, you know, because Jimmy played these fascinating roles to, to Dave and me when we were kids, when you were first covering tennis, I'm about, 12 years or 13 years younger than you are maybe a little more than that but regardless you were young covering the sport oh yeah and I was young playing the sport and that uh, those were I don't know why it's the case and I've wanted to talk to you about this before is it, is it merely that there aren't American tennis players who've captured the consciousness but at that time all those tennis players not just the Americans but Connors, Mac and Borg they were gigantic talk about the zeitgeist they were they were wa- they were water cooler conversation. There were giants in the in the sports world. Why do you think that has sort of faded?
1: Well, first of all, it was unique. Uh, I, I hate to throw around the word unique, but to have Jimmy and John at the same time, at mm-hmm. that time when tennis, you know, it, and and everybody talks about the tennis boom. And we, Brian, we've talked about this before. Jimmy Connors was the tennis boom in this country, and then John yeah. came after Jimmy. But Jimmy had 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 blazed this path, and and was th- the first rock star in the history yeah. of the sport. Okay, and then and then John comes comes along. And by the way, don't tell Jimmy. That Borg McEnroe was the rivalry at that time because he'll say no, it was it was it was Connors Borg and Connors McEnroe because they, 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 he actually played John a lot more than John played Borg. Okay, so now that happens and it bleeds all the way into the early nineties. And yeah. as Jimmy is leaving the stage and John is leaving the stage, what do we get? We get Pete and right, Andre. Pete and
0: Andre. Pete and Andre show up and
1: yeah. then and they go and they give us another. 10 years. And, you know, it's so funny you you bring this up. Koppelman and I will not wear you out with tennis, okay? But he knows that I love it, and I know that he loves it. And we know what it was like in this country when American men uh, roamed the earth like dinosaurs, okay? I was talking to to Mary Carrillo about this just yesterday and how you have to take a step back from Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal to appreciate that... First of all, nothing like this has ever happened or will ever happen again in the sport of tennis. But John, Jimmy and Borg won a combined total of 26 majors. Brian Djokovic, Federer and Nadal have won exactly twice that. They have won 52 majors. Djokovic, half man, half machine, is still going and if he ever wins the French Open, he will hold all four title major titles for the second time in his career, and hold a winning record over Federer and Nadal, who he took on in their primes. So anyway, it's it, but did we lose something? And that's why what Jimmy did in '91 for everything that's happened since, including including Federer's comeback. Okay. That's still the main event in everything I saw in 40 years of of, of covering tennis. The television ratings were through the roof. It was just it was a moment in time which you and David captured so brilliantly in this documentary. Uh, You know, and the centerpiece was, of course, the match against Aaron Crickstein on Jimmy's 39th birthday On Labor Day, and I've told you this before, and I think I said it in the doc, what Taylor Lupica said on the way home, because she was in the front row that day with me, and she said, everybody in that stadium felt they helped Jimmy win today. And she said, if you can get that with a ticket to a sports event, you would pay anything for it.
0: Well, yeah, you did. That's a big moment in the documentary when you told that story. And. And why I think it's relevant, and, and you know, you never know. Like we're all, you know, you and I talking off, communicating off. The subconscious gets involved. I mean, the thing we witnessed at the Masters is so similar in so many yeah. ways. Uh-huh. And Yep. The, yep. The, the the fact that we're here the day before the next leg of this thing. We're talking, you know, the tournaments, This will come out tomorrow. The tournament starts tomorrow. And you know what Tiger did? I will say the emotions I felt that day, and it was a great day, Mike, because you and me and Greeny. We're texting all day. And so was <laughs> it was really son, fun. It was so and, much fun. And, and I, I was I was sitting with my son who came home to watch with me, and so we're watching all day long. And there's something about a flawed a flawed athlete, a flawed American athlete, if you're an American, who uh, we've now seen is imperfect. We've now seen has been broken it, as a as a as a man and as a a, a sporting figure. And you only get it a few times in your whole life, you know, when when somebody, when when Ali knocks out Foreman, you only get it a few times in your life when somebody comes all the way back and reminds you of every single thing you loved about them, only you're seeing it now, the complete person, the flawed person, the, the the what it cost them to get back. And Jimmy almost got all the way, right? Curry always jokes that everyone thinks Jimmy won the tournament, but... Uh, the truth is that what Tiger did, and and I think, you know, as you know, I kept the hope. I mean, you and I have had on this podcast the conversation where I said it was going to happen, and I know that that's just uh, that's just being a fan, that's being a, a diehard, but it also has to do with the metal, the metal that this guy has, that that Tiger was able to get to a place where he trusted himself again because you know on saturday there were a couple of those loose but i remember saturday afternoon i was texting there were a couple of loose putts and um there was a possibility that that didn't augur well for sunday but then the guy just screwed down and found a way to remember that he's the best golfer who ever lived and um and it was just, it lifted me up, it floated me for weeks, as it did so many of us. And I'm wondering what the effect, how it, I, I know you talked about it right after, but I'm wondering how that lingered for you. How, how, how it's, how it's landed for you over these few weeks since. Oh my God,
1: because now I, listen, I would have, I, you know how much I love golf. I played it my whole life. I've actually played it okay at times in my life. I would have been up for the PGA. Uh, under any circumstances. I love the move to May. I, I love that it's come back to Beth Page Black, That's even it. though the, the last time there was, uh, oh, my God, somebody mentioned this again the other day. I forget where I was reading it, uh, about the 18th hole of Beth Page Black and how Lucas Glover was able to hit six iron, nine iron to win the U.S. Open. You're not supposed to be able to hit six iron, nine iron. But but this, no, no, the, 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 the momentum that he brings into this, and who knows you know what he'll be like a month it's after. It's really hard to he,
0: win two majors in a row in college. It's just really yeah, funny.
1: and 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 but but yeah, no, it was it was one of those things where I always say this about the Super Bowl, Brian. Um, uh, the country goes to a football game. Okay, it's like a town meeting of football every Super Sunday. Everybody went to the Masters, okay? Yeah. Everybody went to the Masters because everybody knows the Masters. It won't be the same at Beth Page Black. Everybody knows every blade of gla- grass. They know where you gotta hit it on 13. They know you, they know you can't go for the pin on, on, uh, on 12, even though yeah. <laughs> Molinari and Kepka both did it. And so, um, it, and I, here's what I want to ask you, and we have not talked about this for all the angles that we have explored on the Masters. And, and I'm talking to my pal, Brian Koppelman, and I promise we're going to get to billions and we're going to talk about what happened with the Knicks um, at the draft lottery. OK, I believe I believe two things about what we saw on Sunday at Augusta. One, I actually think Tiger was helped. That they played that tournament early. Okay, I I actually think that he was helped by the fact sure. that they that 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 this was basically a morning event. That's one thing. And I said this to Greeny the other day. I I honestly believe that if he'd had to make four on eighteen, he would have made four on eighteen. I honestly
0: believe that if he had to get up and down, he would have done it. No, I totally agree with you. Um, About the morning thing, look, everybody got to play in the morning before the nerves kicked in, so so I think it helped everybody in a way. or It it probably had the same effect. You know, it's like when it's getting dark out and everybody has to grapple with it at the same time. I mean, I, I, I feel like for a long time, Tiger was clearly the most mentally tough player in the game, and then all the events that happened shook that. But somehow he found it. Uh, he found it again. And I, I completely agree. He's always been a brilliant strategic thinker, and he knew he needed to make five on 18. So he made five on 18. And, of course, if he needed to make four, he would have made four. That's the position that we were in. That said, man, until he hit the first putt on 18, I still thought anything could happen. Oh, sure! You know? I, I still thought he could leave it three feet short. He could run it six by. I mean, you just didn't know. And that's the amazing thing about golf. And And, I mean... My son, there's a picture that um, Amy took of, of Sandy and me, and I mean, if that ball's rolling, and then a tiger knocks the one in, yeah. I mean, we rise out of our chairs, and it's as though, like you said, everyone went to Masters. I mean, it's truly like we were there, dude. Yeah. It's like we were elevated. It's the thing that sports it's the thing that sports can give you that very little else can you know other than your family or whatever it can give you? It's uh, moments of transcendence and possibility and and belief in somebody perfecting themselves enough. To do what seems impossible. And we yeah. got that in that moment.
1: Oh yeah. I mean Brian, it it's it, I I think I've told you this before. My my old boss at ESPN, Steve Bornstein, was once asked to explain why ESPN and sports had exploded the way they have over the last thirty or thirty five years in this country. And at the time he said, Because you can't go to Blockbuster and rent tonight's game. And right. it is the greatest live theater we have. It's high art. It's live theater. And and for a lot of guys who g- really feel like they grew up with Tiger, it resonated um, um, even more with, with you know, because it, it is it is a bit of a generational thing for guys like you and for Greeny and now but also you know, for my
0: son's generation for my son's generation sure, absolutely rolls, my sons to, are the was,
1: same way right. they they call him the dog himself that's what they all even when tiger sure. was down they said the dog himself is doing something okay and yeah. and no they 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 feel the, exactly the way sammy does about a, a tiger woods and again he's one of those figures and and there was a time when he was a polarizing figure okay but i've always gone back to this i never told you this okay my mother's ninety-one years old, okay, and she just thought the whole world was too mean to Tiger Woods, and it's become she's become. I swear, Brian, this is so true. and This is it's partly my mom, but you'll understand what I'm saying. She thought the whole world was too mean to him, and now she roots for him as hard as she roots for any athlete.
0: I love it, right? I love it. Well. That's what Van Pelt said to me. We now know he's not Superman, and so we, we relate to him more. And, and I, think that that's, I think that that's true. And I'm so psyched. That I'm going to be out there covering, or writing about it. I don't really cover it. Michael Rosenberg covers it. But I'll be out there writing about the, about the PGA tomorrow. Are you going
1: to go every day? Um,
0: I don't know if I'll go every day, I'm gonna definitely, definitely going to go tomorrow walk inside the ropes, which I've never done, any tips for walking inside the ropes at a tournament? How do you no, not make a total just, ass of yourself? For just, real? Actual just, question on the podcast, I'm okay. inside the ropes, what do I do? No, Walk just keep it.
1: keep your head down and hope that you're not recognized because because especially at Page Black, you know, you do a lot of running to catch up, okay? And then, like, th- there have been, there were times at that tournament that I talked about that Lucas Glover ended up winning where people would, you yeah. know, when, you, when, when you're out in public and, 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 you know, it's a New York sure. crowd, so they knew me, yeah. okay? So guys yeah. are, you know, sticking out their palms and I'm slapping them five and everybody accused me afterwards of taking a victory <laughs> I, 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 lap and I'm I, I, thinking, Thinking, oh, you were. you were grandstanding. You were just trying not to be a dick. Yeah. Right. And so, just keep your head down and keep up. It's it's it's. You're gonna do a lot of walking. There's a lot of up and down. I'll tell you what. People forget. I was talking to my sons about this the other day about that last uh, uh, open at Beth, the one that Glover won. You know, who yeah. nearly won that. David Duval. David Duvall had a bad three-putt late, and it was another one that Philly Mick had a bad three-putt because he had mud on his ball right in front of me. Oh, no, this this has all the makings with, with New York coming I'm off special, the Masters I, yeah, yeah. of being a great... We're talking to my friend uh, Brian Koppelman, uh, the Mike Lupica podcast, uh, he and David Levine um, are one of the most talented uh, writing combinations that are currently working in New York or Hollywood or any place else. Williams has become a huge monster hit. I, before this podcast is over, I will try to get stuff out of him, which I have never, ever done. I will just tell you this before we go to the Knicks, okay? When Wendy says to Chuck at the end, I turn to Taylor Lupica when she says to him, well, then I know that there was nothing that could have been done. I said, oh, baby, that's going to come. <laughs> that's going to come into play because she's going to find out that he could have done something and didn't. All right. All right. Let's um, le- let's talk about the Knicks for a minute. Brian grew up. At Madison Square Garden, um, my oldest son, Christopher, grew up in the 90s, basically with a backstage pass at Madison Square Garden. I'd, I'd be writing a column and I couldn't find him and he'd be over where the cars were talking to Patrick Ewing. So he, my, my oldest son, especially experienced the magic of that time. And Brian and I have talked about this before. People outside New York, Brian, don't understand the scope and breadth and depth of the misery of the last 20 years of, uh, at Madison Square Garden. It is biblical. They have won one playoff series since game six of the 2000 Eastern Conference semifinals against the Indiana Pacers. They have had one shining moment a 54-28 and 28 season under Woodson when Kidd was, had the ball and Carmelo played his best and J.R. Smith was, was six men of the year. And now everybody had talked themselves into believing that on this night at this draft lottery, everything was going to change because they were going to get the number one pick. So I want you to set the scene. Where where, where were you watching on television? Was Sammy with you? And And what your emotions were, Stephen A. Smith was talking about this on television today after they went to commercial, and now there 's only four left, and
0: you got a chance now well, as a as a as a so you have to know, so earlier in the day, Sam said Dad, i 'm going to watch the posting and toasting, and Nick's wall guys are having a uh, an event at a bar in the city. come out it 's a watch party, and i said i 'm just not i 'm not doing it like i'm I 'm not going to let these emotions I feel happen. He said, but you're, you know, well-known as a Knicks fan. If you walk in, people are looking gonna... at I'm like, I do not want people looking at me as that happens. I'm not <laughs> yeah. going. You know, no. It's the... So I said, I'll be home, son. We can text. You go to the bar. Go with your friends and do whatever. So I sat with Amy. Amy was kind enough to watch with me. Um, and, look, unlike a lot of people, I mean, I, I, first of all, I understood what 14% meant. Second of all, I understood the legacy of our team, the, the cruel the cruelty of fate was so Sam texted me right before, and he said, So, you know, Dad, it's like uh, before uh, when the thing was about to start, he said, The, the odds are the same as making an, an open ended straight draw. <laughs> so, uh, on the, yeah. so I understand what that is on the river. Yeah. So I understand what that is. But, yeah. but then when we were down to four people, now it's like you have a four flush on the flop and two cards coming in. <laughs> it's like a, there's a really good chance that, that, that it's going to come, come in. Um, look. <sighs> The truth is, earlier in the day, as you saw on on Twitter and in the media, the Knicks let it leak that if they if they got Zion if they got Zion, they were going to look to move him for Davis.
1: Yeah, but, but Adrian Wojnarowski said later that that was not true. That, that, well, But they, he
0: said it, and it was his report, right?
1: Right, but or, he said he said later, unless I misunderstood him on the broadcast, that they if they'd gotten Zion, they were going to keep Zion. Now, I, I may be dead wrong about
0: that. But it seemed like the report was, at the time, what Nick Fenton said they were going to package him and Knox and send him to, to New Orleans for Davis. And I, I would just sat there at my computer, and I called my, a couple of my buddies, and I was like, you know can we just have one pure thing? Can we just (laughs) as the Knicks do one thing that we don't... Because my my rap has always been Dolan's like Fredo Corleone. I said this to Hal Simmons last night, but I'll say it to you too, which is, now I realize I was giving him too much credit. He's Fredo Corleone crossed with Inspector Clouseau. (laughs) You can give him all the clues in the world and he'll still come to the wrong conclusion, right? Right. So he would still, you give that guy Zion and he's not going to maximize it somehow. He's going to, Surround him with the wrong people, or trade him away, or just somehow, um, just somehow screw it up. So, uh, look, I, I feel the other indignity is, of course, John Morant is going to be. We have every indication that John Morant is going to be an incredibly important player in the NBA, and of course we couldn't get him either. So, uh, it's not that I, I think there's anything wrong with the guy we got. He's great. Um, you know, he obviously Zion really likes him, but. It's not the same as getting either of those first two guys, and as a Knicks fan, it was sort of a crushing night. Not a surprising night. It's the kind of night Knicks fans are used to, but it, it, it. Look, the other piece is uh, we finally finished dead last, and it's the first year they change it from dead last, giving you a twenty-five percent chance to dead last, only giving you a fourteen percent chance. So they basically cut our chances in, in pretty much in half. The the one time we would have had a really good shot at the once in a generation athlete. So. Um, if you're asking if it was a good night, Mr. Lupica, no, it was not a good night for Nick Vance. Okay, so differently or the same? How do you? No, think? no.
1: I, listen, I once the Lakers fell off, and now there's only three left. I'm yes, thinking, sir. after all this misery, after again all this biblical misery, yeah. maybe this is going to happen because I will. I will say this, and I, Brian, I'll, I'll couch it by saying I'm not a thousand percent sure. That, that Zion is ever gonna be a good enough shooter to be all that. Okay, so I, I it's gonna be interesting to see if, if he develops all of the parts of his game, but I will tell you this. There hasn't been a more dynamic figure to come into the game since LeBron came out of high school. That I believe there has never been a rock star like this in college basketball. LeBron was a high school rock star. This kid is a uh, college rock star. I mean, even busting his sneaker that night became a national event. Okay, his tearing his sneaker became a national event. And I I actually saw my dear old friend Patrick Ewing up there. And I think maybe some of this is going to rub off. And Patrick, you know, we remember Dave DeBuscher with that little fit. Oh, the great Dave DeBuscher with the fist the night that we found out that Patrick was. And little did we know, by the way. And I say this to my friend Brian Koppelman, the Knicks fan that when Patrick left, he was going to take the New York Knicks with him because that is essentially what happened once Patrick. I mean, we had a
0: few, I would say the other time it happened was when Jeremy Lin left. But the, 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 the sadness of the legacy uh, of 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 this, this team uh, is going to be talked about for uh, a long time. But the hope is that when we finally figure it out and win It'll wipe this away, and I guess that's what we thought Zion could do. Uh, okay. okay, I think he's going to work hard in a shot. I believe, first of all, he did show us that he can make some threes, and he, you know, we, he's not our guy, so I'm, I'm not saying this for any any reason of loyalty. But I see a kid who works really hard at the game. I see a kid who's really smart on the court, and I look at Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons. I mean, uh, Zion shoots the ball just by a giant factor, better than Ben Simmons. Oh, yeah. And so, I, I mean, to me, he doesn't shoot as well as Barkley shot it when he came into the league, but I don't see why he can't make the shot something that at least makes people have to guard him out there that he can then blow by him.
1: We're talking with the great Brian Koppelman on the Mike Lubica Podcast. Much more with Mr. Koppelman right after this from GEICO. Okay, this is a 30-second commercial, and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you, but please stay with me, because if if it doesn't confuse me, it's not going to confuse you. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This company has been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years. And anytime you need help, you can speak to one of their trained specialists 24 7 the company of course is geico go to geico.com today sorry for all the numbers and in five, four, three, two, one. Oh, damn it i'm out of time all right let um, me, last question about the knicks let me ask you about the Knicks. So, okay are you one of those people who is actually starting to believe that it is a really it's sometimes treated like a sure thing that Kevin Durant is going to come play for your basketball team next season.
0: I'm going to answer this without just b- making sort of like gratuitous Dolan jokes. Here's what I believe. I believe that it's uh, all, I believe that it has been all but done, but I don't know that the face-to-face meeting between Dolan and Katie has happened. And I don't really, and, and this may just be me being shell-shocked from years of this. What I can't, what I can't envision is the moment that Dolan sticks his hand out and that KD shakes it. Like, I can't really allow <laughs> myself to... I can't really allow myself to picture the completion of that of that moment. And so, uh, I do think that everybody intends to do this. I do think Rich Kleinman and KD have decided. I think they know which player they're bringing with them. But until that meeting happens, and until KD looks Dolan in the eyes, and until Dolan doesn't screw that up, It's hard to really count on it. What do you think, Mike? I mean, you follow this as closely as anybody. What do you think?
1: I do not believe it's a sure thing. I, I, I believe that at some point, unless it's like a real inside game where his agent really is going to run the front office. And, and, and Brian, I will tell you this. It, 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 it And I, I, I came to New York to cover the Knicks um, when I was a kid for the old New York post. I love, I learned basketball sitting next to red Holtzman for an entire yes. season. Okay. OK, red, 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 our back took me under his wing. Very. I love this sport. Bob Ryan's one of my best friends. He's like my big brother. Of course. OK, I don't want any part of Kyrie Irving. I, I believe that there are enough members of the Boston Celtics who will drive him to the airport, whatever his next stop is going to be. So the idea that, that yes. the two K guys, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to transform the Knicks. I don't, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't, the, neither as great as Durant is. L- let me ask you this. Okay. As great as Durant is and as great as he has been in the playoffs. Do you think that there could be a night where he did what Steph Curry did the other night which is get zipped in the first half go for 33 in the second half without his other best player 23 in the fourth quarter and 16 no, in the last I watched that four game minutes. it was
0: amazing um yes the answer is yes I do think so I think that I think that KD has over and over again proven just how good he can be and how good he is. Let's not forget he was taken number two and was fueled by the anger of that. And, you know, almost won in Oklahoma City early in his career. And uh, I, yes, I, I think that he would be Immediately the second he put the uniform on he'd be one of the best players to ever wear the uniform.
1: That's 100% true and and listen for all of my friends and and I, and, and for my late friend William Goldman who who sat under the basket for 40 years and suffered for these last 20 yeah. the last 20 years of his life he was cursed with the Knicks. Yes, I I I, I, I can overcome what I think about Dolan. I I would rather for good things to happen to to Nick. Fans, Because I know that that the Knicks were once the great beating heart of sports in New York City. And I I used to write this all the time. Even when Torrey's Yankees ran the town, you still had the sense that baseball didn't really start until the Knicks played their last game. And that's how... then and we didn't and Brian, we talked about this before. We didn't know how good we had it in the nineties. Whether they they went to the finals twice, they didn't win, those were as much glory years as, as the years when they were winning. Oh, you championships. got
0: to go to the you got to go to the garden and you got to root your guts out and you got to leave there drained and you got you got all the stuff you want out of sports because it also felt like you had you won it also felt like those losses were setting us up for when we would win. You know, so yes, it was, it was as a sports fan you were you were uh, being shot down the rapids, but you you had the sense that you were going to come to a a gliding finish. And instead, as you know, we we crashed on the shoals, and the the boat split apart, and we got drowned, Um, and uh, no one ever found the body.
1: The garden in those years, is a great description of what the garden was in those years and what it's supposed to be and has not been since, a main plaza of the city. Pete, that's it. Pete says it's supposed to be a main plaza of the city. It was in those days. I am talking to a New Yorker named Brian Koppelman. Uh, he and David Levine are, are the, the showrunners and co-creators of Billions, which is, um, uh, for, for, for all of you obsessed with Game of Thrones and good for you. Good for you. I've never been one of those guys. I've missed the moment, but I am obsessed with Billions. So let us talk about the current season. Three episodes left. Am I correct about that? Yes, sir. And uh, I'll, and I really think. Um, I know there have been other episodes. You say you got to watch this one, like week four. That was that's my favorite of the year. No, I thought the so much happened in the last episode on on, on Sunday night, including, including. Uh, wh- wh- one of my favorite subplots that you have yet had, and I don't know whether it was always on the drawing board for this part of the year, the Norma Ray moment at axe capital and <laughs> yep. that's all that's the only way i can describe it i said holy shit they're, they're they're turning norma ray on its head and 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 talk about talk about well when we're well, we quoting we mr springsteen the, I mean, when talk the about the rising, the rising the well,
0: rising yes when we had the idea to put the rat in there you know the union rat for this rat. that i mean sometimes you're you're plotting and planning this stuff out and it's for, there's the, and most of the time, right, where we take these, char- I and mean, we do take the characters incredibly seriously, and, and we know how much people invest in the show. Part of the thing is, you want to take these iconic things in New York and figure out how to use them in new ways, and, like, if you're a New Yorker, you've just seen that union rat over and over again, the <laughs> yeah. blow-up rat, you know? Yeah. And so when we ta- started thinking about this, if you things happened. one, we'd heard about a fun, like, so here's the way, i don't talk about this that much, I mean, this is like a coach diagram plays, but So if it gets in the weeds, just stop me. But part of the way this works is like um, someone will tell us about something like, hey, at certain hedge funds, they um, sometimes have secret funds within the fund that only (laughs) certain high performers can be in. So then if you're us, you start thinking about, well, Shane, if I was at that hedge fund and and I found out that some other people were getting like the slightly better information and they were covered in that thing, so then you start thinking about how you'd react to it, right? And then you start thinking about which of our characters would react in which way, and then you know, Dave or me, someone says, "Well, you know, what if the what if they blew up the rat in there?" And then now, now you can't walk away from doing it. Now, now you have to build that whole thing out in the episode. And then you know, you get the notion I'm going to spoil something on the show. So three, two, one, I'm going to spoil something. Not, I'm just something. You should be caught up. Is all. Uh, you know, the idea then that Taylor would have fomented that trouble. Um, allowed it to serve the superstructure of the season, which is this ongoing battle that's happening. And so it kind of gave us a lot of different pieces um, in a way that we felt like would be uh, entertaining for people. So I love that that landed of And Of course, you'll get all the references. Like, you got the glove. You know, you're somebody who's going to understand what <laughs> all that stuff was referencing. Some other people might not get everything it's referencing, but they'll understand the, the spirit of it. They'll understand the emotion of it.
1: And, and we're talking to Brian Koppelman of Billions and, 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 and he's my friend and he knows I love the show. Okay. And, 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 and I love when people think, well, you know, do the characters, uh, do, do, do they make up some of the stuff? Yeah, of course they do. Okay. Did you guys, when, when, when the character of Bonnie was first in the show, did you, did you see these possibilities for Bonnie or was this another case where, the, the the character just became so strong that you had to write it up even bigger.
0: Yeah, well, Sarah Stiles, who plays Buddy, who, by the way, is going to win the Tony this year. she's has the breakout moment in Tootsie. Um, she's been nominated twice before. She's an incredible theater actor. We wanted this badass woman. We added her to the, to the show last season. And by the end of last season, she came in, I think, in episode nine of last season. So she was there for the last four we immediately were like, That's, that woman can do our thing. You know, she can handle the dialogue, yeah, right? Yeah, she yeah. understands the whole thing. So immediately we're just like, hey, we're writing, Sarah, can you, because she's on two other shows and she's in the, she's this huge part in Tootsie. So we said, hey, if we write stuff for you, can you find a way to make it work in your life? And she said, and kept her word, she was like, there are days that I'm going to be out of town doing Tootsie in our previews. But I will fly back. And so there are days that she finished at 2 in the morning a rehearsal in Chicago, got on a plane, flew here, shot for us in the morning, and then went back to Chicago to do Tootsie. So the answer is that the three of us worked really hard on this together because, as you said, we realized, oh, we have someone who can really take this stuff and fly. you know, And Sarah Stiles can really take your stuff and fly. I mean, in our, on our show, you know, they don't really improvise. There's pretty much no improvisation except... Um, Maffey is the only person who ever improvises because he's a comedian and we've asked him something right, to say to Dan. Right. So, we'll say to Dan Soder, replace Maffey, hey, at the end of that scene, give us three, what would you think? Give us three things. But other than that, it's not an improv heavy show because the plot, basically, because the, the, the stuff, the timing of it has to be so exact. But what the actors do is they take your words, and I'm sure Goldman's walked you through this a million times, is you know, they, or Cap or any of those guys, they take the words and then they just make them so much better. They yeah. set the good ones. The good ones take the words and they just go flying and you're just hanging on with them. And that's what you're really, I mean, that's what you're really looking for.
1: Oh, no, you're 100 percent right. We used to talk about this in the old days with with MASH on television or the Mary Tyler Moore show. Were they brilliantly written? They were brilliantly written. OK, it's some of the best dialogue there has ever been on television. But yes. but it became more brilliantly written when 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 Alan Alda would deliver the remarks or Ed Asner would deliver the remarks correct. or Mary that's Tyler. Moore. Exactly I, right. I know exactly what you're saying. And that's the um, magic that happens in someone else's hands
0: it would be fine. But in, in suddenly Damien Lewis's hands or Paul Giamatti's hands or Maggie Siff's hands or Eddie Kate Dillon's hands, suddenly it's smart and funny. And because they're able to, uh, there's a place where, I mean, the thing you talk about, about, you know, the, the, the air, the sports thing, they're able to find that ground between the words that we write and the intentions they bring. There's this magical space and they're able to take that space on and, and use it to fly themselves around the room. And it's, it's the best thing about doing what David and I do is collaborating with these actors. It really, it's crazy, you know, and as you get to know them, you get an idea of what's going to really excite them. So then you're writing the character and the character is somehow fusing with a part of who, something essential about who they are. And then, the marriage of those things feels electric. you will be standing on set, and you'll just feel like, oh, look at that. Uh, look at what just happened. I recently talked to Damien about it, and he's like, yeah, you know, sometimes I'll be there in it. And I can tell that that section was easy for you guys to write, that it came out. Because we're so locked in, he'll say, when I start a monologue, sometimes it just flows in a certain way where I can feel that the whole thing was just on rails. And um, that's a really special and kind of delightful thing when, when it happens, you know.
1: We're talking to Brian Koppelman. There are three episodes left in Billions um, this year, and a series that began with a, a a steel cage match between Bobby Axelrod and Chuck Rhodes has now become a steel cage match in a different way. And there are other, you know, there are minor steel cage between Taylor and, and, and Bobby Axelrod. So I, I, I know I will yeah, not. And Chuck get- and
0: Connerty. I'm saying Chuck and Connerty and, and Jock. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, and I, I won't. And Doctor Gus right. is back.
1: And Doctor Gus oh, is back.
0: back. Uh, we are so happy that Doctor Gus came back. And I'll say the three final episodes of the season are real corkers. Dave and I, I'm talking to you now. I just came back to my office from mix the mix of the sound mix of the final episode of the season. So all of my responsibilities are done on season four now. David and I just mixed the episode with our great sound mixing team, and um, so I got to watch the final episode with the final sound in and the picture and. Um, yeah, it's a good final three episodes, and as you know, we're back for season five next year, so I have about a month and a half to collect myself, uh, do a little bit of sports journalism, and then get back into the writer's room to start thinking about season five.
1: We're talking to Brian uh, uh and we're talking about Billions. Uh, again, there are uh, three episodes left. I, I really think it is uh, cresting as we get to, to the end. I, there, there are characters that fascinate me. Okay. Because I do feel as if Connody has been. <sighs> not lying in the weeds, but there have been a lot of moments this season where mostly he just glowered at Chuck. Okay. And like across a parking lot. But I, I, I feel that, uh, what was the old Dave Edmonds song from, from small things, big things someday come. Yeah. Um, um, I,
0: <laughs> I, 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 feel There's like a, rock. There's like a uh, uh, what was the, the, him, Dave Edmonds and Nick Lowe. They've been rock pile. They did a rock pile. Did a version of that? I think.
1: Yeah, it's a yeah. great song. And, but I just feel like he's, he's coming along because you know he he, there was a gotcha moment but then he got out gotcha in the last episode and and oh shit the 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 thing with the you speak of oh shit the the thing with the train brian oh my god um (laughs) with the waste you know where where i you just knew something really bad was going to happen to jock jeff coat a character who you just love to hate i i don't know a lot about that actor but he's tremendous
0: but you've seen him in um, – you've seen Clancy Brown. He's the bad guard in Shawshank Redemption. Right, he's right, right, Kirk right. He's the in the Highlander. He's just older now, as we all are. Um, and Dave and I want to work with that guy for 20 years. He's had it, When you look at his IMDb, he's had an incredibly illustrious career. You'll recognize all these things that you know him from. Uh, he's a Northwestern guy. comes from newspaper people, Mike. His parents ran a newspaper in the middle of the country. And um, he's a great, as, as is often the case, the guys who play the heavy so well are often the sweetest guys away from the thing. And Clancy's just a sweetheart of a dude. You'd love him.
1: Yeah. And that character, you know, I, I, he, another, it's another character in this piece that, that sneaks up on you and, and becomes more and more important as you go. But of all the various dramas, um, it, 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 the, to me, the one that I am most anticipating to see what the season four resolution is for all the stuff that's going on. Okay. And, and Taylor and Axel, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do chuck and wendy to me i i I cannot wait to see what will happen over the last three hours of season four with the two of them
0: i mean you know this is the part of the podcast where i shut up
1: damn it yeah you know i thought i thought that it was so (laughs) genuine which it was which it was which it was
0: and and, you you went i what i liked about it is you threw like an old Louis Tiant curveball there like you turned your back you just kind of released it nice and easy it looked like it was over the center of the plate but it, you know he would throw those big kind of swinging curves because of the way he turned it through and uh, unfortunately for you, I just laid off it. I just kept my bat right on my shoulder. Ball two. And the yeah, thing as Costas, Costas,
1: Costas will say, low and away, ball two. Okay, so. That's... <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes. all, right, all right, let That's me ask exactly you this. Right. Let me let me ask you this because I'm a game guy. Okay, let me ask you Not this. You hunters on the mound. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Joe choy just give it. No. Okay, how about this? How about this? Is it fair to say. That we will have a big old, big ass, old fashioned, not who shot Jr. cliffhanger at the end of season four.
0: No, I listen again. As I say, the bat's not. The bat is just. uh, Or, or we could say this: like I'm the pitcher, and you're you're just Dave Kingman, and you're swinging for the fences, and we all we all appreciate that. But as you know, Kingman hit a lot of home runs, but I think you know what he did more than hitting home runs. I think you're aware. You, think but you,
1: know. you have to – is it wrong of me to try? No, it's not.
0: No, there aren't enough we, – we nicknamed a guy in the golf course when we used to play, in. he was this guy named Dan. He had hit it a mile, but he hit it wrong a lot, and his nickname was Kong. And I don't know why there aren't more golfers nicknamed Kong <laughs> after Kingman. There should right. be, Think about it.
1: Brian Koppelman, I am so happy, I mean, I knew this already, that we were going to have season five of, of Billions. I, I do not know, uh, uh, outside of, of, of the other show that I mentioned, any show that is discussed more on Monday then billions is it is it is edgy it is smart it is fun I, I love the description I don't remember was it you or David in the New Yorker who said that you guys are writing for characters who are smarter than us who know that they're smarter than us and know that we know that they're smart I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing sure, yeah. badly but that's
0: kind of it right? It's fun for us yes these guys are smarter than us they know everything we know and they know a lot more than that and you know we research it hard and it's rewarding. And and I gotta say, Lubica, man, it is just always every time I get to talk to you and it's been so fun. You know, you know I've now we have now known each other a really long time. Like we met each other before my first movie came out. So yep. and yep. that's over that's over twenty years ago. Yeah. So it's uh there's no one I like talking about this shit more with than you, uh, the sports and culture stuff and I fully anticipate a lot of conversation back and forth over these next few days as Tiger, you know, tries uh to see if he can do this thing again text me
1: text me again as soon as you can from beth page black again no billions this coming sunday three more episodes after that i know how busy you have been wrapping this season i want you to have a ball following your guy around at beth page black you know how much fun it is for me to do this so you have a great weekend pal thank
0: you my friend i'll talk to you soon
1: Brian Koppelman of Billions. Um, every time we do one of these conversations, my son called me up and said, Dad, you and Brian could, could do one every other week, and we'd be happy. This is why we do two of these a week now. This is why we have so much fun. You can Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you find your podcast. Continue to download. Continue to su- subscribe. And uh, we'll talk to you next week after we know whether Tiger has won the PGA or not, everybody.
0: The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Network in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform.